Hey, listeners. Just to let you know, stay tuned to the end of the episode to find out who won those two uh, Blu-ray copies of Color Out of Space. Everybody and welcome back to another episode of Headlong into Monsters, the ADHD of horror movie podcasts. I am your gruesome guide, Raul the Monster Slayer, coming at you from beautiful Tooele, Utah. On this podcast, we talk about horror movies and horror happenings. This is a spoiler podcast, and with that in mind, we do not cover movies within a year of their release. Hopefully that gives you listeners enough time to catch up with and watch the movies before we spoil the ever-living crap out of them. Anything older than a year is fair game. So settle in, bundle up, and join me as we dive headlong into monsters. This is episode three, and today we will be covering Jackals from 2017. To help me with this review, I have a very special guest on the podcast. A lot of you know him. He is a podcasting legend, a martial arts master who fears no child or tiny terror. (laughs) His voice has been described as podcasting ASMR. He is the coolest. He uh, he has the coolest horror moniker of anyone I know. He is the host of Horror Movie Weekly, the man, the myth, the legend, and my personal podcasting hero, Jay of the Dead. Hi, Jay. Hey, brother Raul, the Monster Slayer. Thanks for having me on here tonight. Absolutely, man. I, I hope uh, I hope you enjoyed that introduction. That that was fantastic. That was very good, and I'm I'm super flattered and undeserving because I have to confess. I mean. I think Raul the Monster Slayer is a better horror name than mine. And then Greg Amortis is one of my all-time favorite horror names. So, um, yeah, Jay of the Dead's in there, but not as good as what you guys have. <laughs> oh, I, I disagree. So I've been listening. I mean, Greg Amortis is a very, very, very close second. But uh, <laughs> as, as far as really cool horror monitors, I think I think you take the cake. Oh, I also love nice. Dr. Shock. Oh, yeah, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I've been listening to you for a number of years. You've had a number of podcasts over the years. And, um, man, I just, I, your introductions to when people, you know, guest spot on your podcast have been of legend. And I wanted to give something <laughs> back to you. You brought it, brother. I, I could not have done it better. Yeah, honestly, you, you brought it. Thank you. Good. I, I really wanted to make sure I mentioned your, uh, <laughs> your lack of fear. For tiny terrors oh yeah that's right <laughs> uh for those of you who don't know uh jay fears no child fears no doll fears no that's crite right. or or anything yes except for um you know the the kid in brightburn uh, that kid could probably tear me up but aside from that kid i'll take on it i'll fight any kids out there <laughs> we'll, we'll call that an even fight okay deal <laughs> all right man so let us get into it uh jay what have you been what have you been watching horror movie wise or just horror wise yeah well recently i um revisited the fourth kind do you remember that alien flick from a few years ago i think it was like 2013 that alien movie 
Yeah, that was a, like a documentary found footage thing, right? Exactly. Yeah. And I was I was surprised. I mean, upon revisiting it, I remember liking it back in, oh, yes, yeah, 2009. I guess it's older than I thought. When I revisited it, I was like, okay, yeah, we'll see what this is like. And what's super cool to me about this is, you know, you have, it, it is structured exactly like it's one of these um, episodes on unsolved mysteries or something where you've got the talking heads and they're doing reenactments. And so our main actors like Mila Jovovich, you know, she's part of like the reenactment actors. And then they show what is ostensibly supposed to be um, actual footage from some of these events. And those have a real natural verisimilitude to them. And it's convincing and it really makes it creepy. Honestly, and so, I mean, our our actors within the movie, like uh, we'll call them our stars, like Mila Jovovich, they do a fine job, and it's passable for sure. But then you have these very naturalistic actors, and it's fairly convincing. I mean, the horror isn't super strong, but it's definitely creepy and unsettling. Awesome. And you're to to refresh my memory, you're not a big. Um found footage guy right no actually i do love found footage to be honest with you i i enjoy it quite a bit uh because i get sucked into it i'm one of those people who you know gets i I guess captured by the spell of thinking that it's real i mean i know these aren't real but when i'm watching it i feel like i'm watching real footage and it does freak me out and so and and since they're so disciplined i feel like the the writer director alatandi Osunami, that's probably not pronounced right, but I feel like the director was really disciplined in the execution for the fourth kind. So, like, that's like a 7.5 out of 10 for me. And in terms of, like, you know, scary to death horror, I mean, it's mild, but, um, you know, especially if you have somebody who's creeped out by aliens, Raul, I showed it to a friend, um, a co worker, and she's, you know, super creeped out by horror and especially aliens. So it was really fun to watch it with her. <laughs> so it was great. Now, did she like owls going into that movie? Because she probably doesn't anymore, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Good memory. I'm, I'm so impressed that you you had that there just like that. Um, yeah, the, the owl part is really freaky. And the other thing that's freaky about this is our, our main interview subject who's one of the naturalistic actors who's supposed to be actual footage. She, the, I don't know if they did something in post-production or if she just really looks that way, but something about her face shape and her eye shape, she does resemble the greys. And I don't know if they cast her like that on purpose, but you know, those aliens that are really popular. Um, She has that look to her. And so it's extra freaky on that level. Yeah, I, I don't remember a lot of that movie. I do remember um, – I nice. don't remember a lot of that movie. I think I watched it back in maybe 2011, 2012, around mm-hmm. there. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I've revisited since then. But I do remember not being over the moon about that movie, especially the ending I thought was uh, pretty abrupt. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, your memory, your recall on this stuff is very impressive. Like – yeah, it, it the ending is a little underwhelming and it just kind of ends. But I do think, I, I will say this in defense of it, I do think that is part of the discipline 
that the director was going for and trying to make it seem like in this self-contained unsolved mysteries episode, you know? So, you know, I've, I, I guess I kind of let it slide for that, but I could see why people would think it's a little underwhelming because it is a PG 13 film and you know, the horror is not overly strong, but it's just creepy and unsettling. Okay. And, uh, as far as rating it to other found footage movies, like, um, well, I think, I think, uh, is it Wad Z, who I share this opinion with? Uh, one of the greatest found footage movies of all time is the Poughkeepsie Tapes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know Mr. Watson really appreciates that, as I recall, as well. Um, awesome. Yeah, I so mean... How would, sorry, how would, how would you rate that movie, uh, The Fourth Kind, to the Poughkeepsie Tapes, comparatively? Well, definitely the Poughkeepsie Tapes is much stronger, like, in terms of, like, its horror and... You know, um, so I mean, I'm I'm trying to think of like what level this would be on, and yeah, it's pretty subtle. I mean, I mean for me, like the Blair Witch Project, a lot of people feel like that's a genuine classic, and I do feel like it has historic value. But uh, this is on the scare level for me as the original, the Blair Witch Project. So that's kind of where I'd put it. Gipsy Tapes is definitely stronger. Oh, that's disappointing because I I don't I actually really don't like the Blair Witch Project. I think I revisited that maybe five times. Okay, well, <laughs> then that makes sense then. See, because you were <laughs> underwhelmed by this too, so maybe that was an apt comparison after all. <laughs> yeah, no, maybe maybe you are spot on, hitting that right on the head. But I, I don't know. I'll I'll take a I'll take another gander at it. I'll, I'll I will revisit this for Jay of the Dead. Well, I tell you what, if you. If you have like a like a younger cousin or a relative who's like, you know, been hearing all the alien stuff in the news, you could you could even try to pass it off because it says based on true events. And the actors come out in the beginning and say, this is based on real thing. And, and like Mila plays it very seriously. So you could probably freak out like a 13 year old with this. You know, if you have a younger cousin or something, that'd be fun. Now, my my son is five, and the last horror movie that we watched together was uh, uh, Carnival of Souls. And there's one particular scene on the bus that really, really freaked him out. Mm -hmm. um, do you think a five-year-old who is budding into the horror genre would be able to watch this movie? No, I, I feel like it would be definitely too strong for a five-year-old. Uh, but uh, yeah, the gal, the gal I watched it with, the coworker, she's really kind of a a big baby when it comes to horror movies, and um, she was pretty freaked out, you know. So, yeah, but that's amusing to me. I mean, we horror fans get a kick out of that. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, is there anything else that you uh, would like to mention about uh, anything you've been watching horror wise? Well, I just say this, if if people consider this a horror film, I did catch up with M. Night Shyamalan's new film, Old, and um, brother, I'm sorry to say, I hated it. I love Shyamalan, I try to root for him, but I actually like The Happening better than Ooh. Old. <laughs> yeah, have you seen it? No, I've not seen Old, I've seen The Happening, and that is, that's a strong statement, uh, I know. Jay. <laughs> I know. I know. I mean, other people I saw it with, they dug it. But man, for me, ugh, I was just, I mean, th that guy, 
the thing is, you know, my all time favorite film is an M. Night Shyamalan film. That's The Village. But yeah, he's kind of a one trick pony and it is so contrived and you can see him setting up stuff. I mean, it's just and, and there's no better word that I can come up with than contrived because it is just so calculated and you can just see the screenwriting right on the screen it's just so obvious so it's really not much of a ride for me and thought it was ridiculous so now you you were uh you were hopeful of m night Shyamalan's return after uh the visit came out right oh yeah yeah i feel like the visit was freaky i mean that's a scary movie to me because i'm afraid of old people <laughs> just <laughs> <laughs> Which is why I I had some high hopes for old, right? Because it's all about aging quickly and becoming an old person. Yeah. But but yeah, I mean, I, I had a friend say it was William Rowan Jr. Kill Bill Kill for those who know him. He he said something to the effect of um, thematically, you know, it's a pretty enjoyable film. Like some of the themes that Shyamalan is reaching for are good and lofty, but his execution very poor, and I I couldn't have said it better. Well, um, I'll, I I think uh, I'll probably watch it eventually, but I won't run off to see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, although you did mention the happening, and I will say that I am in the minority when it comes to that. I actually not I I, I don't thoroughly enjoy the happening. I'm more of an apologist for the happening. Mm-hmm. Because it is, I I feel like it's M Night Shyamalan's um, first real diving into committing uh committing himself to a real real horror movie as far as the actual on-screen violence goes Mm because it's pretty brutal in some parts yeah well said that's that's a great way to describe that because yeah as i recall i believe it's his first rated r film Mm -hmm. and and yeah he does try to give us some brutal scenes and so i'm with you raul actually i i don't mind the happening as much as other people but there is like you know, the quote unquote monster with the big reveal in that that film is utterly ridiculous. But aside from that, I think it's watchable. Yeah, I yeah, I think we're in the same boat. I feel like the <laughs> the trees did it. It was the trees. Oh my gosh. Right. That was that was awful. That was that was terrible. Mark Wahlberg's performance is laughable. Uh even I and I love Zoe De Chanel. I think she's gorgeous. But mm-hmm. I think her in the movie is still not enough to pull it is not enough of a positive to overcome the negatives. Yeah, and I'm with you too cuz the thing is I love Marky Mark. Uh, Mark Wahlberg is I mean I love that dude, but yeah, he does a very poor performance in that, in that role. <laughs> yeah, are you more of a Marky Mark or M- Mark Wahlberg or Donnie Mark uh Donnie Wahlberg? Okay, the thing is, Donnie Wahlberg is definitely the superior actor for sure. Like, I mean, he has Marky Mark's lunch. But in terms of just the dudes, I mean, I I like Marky Mark better. I can't help it. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, When it comes to Donnie, I always think of his performance in Dead Silence. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's Dead Silence. And um, he's he's in the Saw films. And I, I really loved him. Amazing in The Sixth Sense freaky right the kid at the beginning in the bathroom the kid that's Mm -hmm. all disturbed i mean that's he brings it for that man he does you're not lying Mm -hmm. um well as far as uh what i've been watching 
uh, in uh, horror wise. I've been kind of going through all of the puppet master movies. <laughs> nice. It's funny. Same. You're bringing these like, like really, really good horror movies in and I'm like puppet master. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But that third one, though, right? I mean, have you gotten to that one yet? Oh, man, that third one is so emotional. Yeah, Toulon's Revenge. I actually think that's a decent movie. No kidding. Yeah, there's um, there's a lot of hard violence in that movie. Plus, the you get the backstory to the puppets and, and especially uh, Leech Woman. Man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. I don't mind that one, but yeah, you know, the rest of them. I mean, it, it it's one of those things that kind of uh, runs its course. I mean, do you feel like, like, yeah, okay, well, we get it, but but as you said at the beginning, you know, I'm not usually scared by tiny terrors, <laughs> as you say. <laughs> so, no, I um I I thoroughly enjoy the Puppet Master series. In fact, I recently bought the. Uh, the 12 movie Blu-ray box set. Nice. From Full <laughs> Moon. Um, and I'm so excited to just revisit all these movies again. <laughs> oh, well, you must be a, a, a schlockmeister then or what, you know, like like our buddy, Dr. Shock. He, you know, he likes all that stuff. What what did you think of? Um, what, let's see. What's that one called? It's It's got Reich in the title. It's relatively new. Oh, the littlest, the littlest Reich. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I actually, I mean, for a guilty, there's a lot of offensive stuff in that, of course. Oh yeah. But yeah, but puppet, puppet master, the littlest Reich. I actually feel like that's a pretty good guilty pleasure slasher flick. Actually, what do you the, think? Uh, I, <laughs> I, I don't feel guilty about how much that. <laughs> about how much pleasure I derive from that movie. Okay, I, I love that movie so much, brother. I need to. I like it too. Oh, Maybe. there's. A, I mean, when when looking at it through the rating of Doctor Walking Dead's, is it a dead serious horror movie? <laughs> and there is a child that dies in that movie. Mm-hmm. So as schlocky as it is, under under that criteria, it could be viewed as a serious horror movie. Oh yeah, it brings it. I mean, I, I, I just feel like there's a lot of um, a lot of risks being taken. Like it's kind of one of those trapeze acts where there's no net below, and they're they're doing all kind of insanity. The, the, this horror film operates without a net beneath it, so I love that. Yeah, ab- absolutely. I, I, I agree with that. But I think that's why I love it so much is because they're just not afraid to take risks regardless of the consequence and if it lands it lands and they know that this movie's going to find its audience and if people aren't going to like it then they're not going to like it but for those that do for those of us that do like this movie mm-hmm. man is it is it just firing on all cylinders <laughs> that's right <laughs> yeah and i i also i don't know how you feel about this but even though it's like a 2018 film i feel like it has it actually has some spirit of the 80s slashers to it. I feel like some other films have tried to do that, other modern slashers. But for whatever reason, I feel like this rekindles and captures some of that. I 
I I didn't really feel any of that uh, 80s 80s feel. I might have to revisit that again. But <laughs> you're, like, you're like I'm not going that far with it, Jay. Come on, let's let's be reasonable. But but seriously, say so yeah. If you the next time you watch it, because it sounds like you will, <laughs> um, just just see if you have that same 80s feeling. I mean, I could see um, Elvira introducing this one back in the day. You know, so. Oh yeah. Yeah, that does seem pretty that that does seem like it would fit very well. I will have to keep that in mind. I'll have to look for that next time I watch the movie because it I mean, Mm -hmm. I'm going through it, so I'm going to get to it eventually. Yeah, and I'm a huge like S. Craig Zoller fan. I mean, that dude um, is is one of my faves. Like I I really love, let's see, Bone Tomahawk, of course, and Brawn Cell Block 99. Like I and even Dragged Across Concrete, like. You know, the last two I mentioned were horror movies, but uh, but he he has a he has a great sensibility for depicting um, disturbing violence on screen. Oh, yeah, absolutely. When I think of Bone Tomahawk, I think of that one. Well, (laughs) so this is a spoiler podcast and it's been out over a year. So I think of that one splitting scene. Oh, yeah. Well, I don't I don't even know what kind of weapon they were using. It was something made out of a jawbone or something? Yeah, it was like a um, you know, a hatchet, a, a literal bone tomahawk, a hatchet like made out of, you know, just like maybe a scapula from some animal. Like yeah, or a jawbone like you said. And then maybe they sharpened it. But boy, it splits that dude right down the middle and that's that's one of those unforgettable kills. That's definitely got to be in in my top 5 all-time horror kills maybe my number two probably is it right up there with texas chainsaw massacre yeah yeah that's my number one kill is that 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 first one where he 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 nails that dude in the head and then his feet are drumming on the ground and he slams the metal door i think that's the all-time greatest kill in horror that cracking thunk yeah terrifying Oh, that's great, man. Well, speaking of 80 slashers, that's another thing I've been uh, I've been I've been watching. I've been intaking uh, because we just recently passed Friday the 13th. I've been going through all of the Friday the 13th movies as quickly as I can. Nice. OK, how was that? Uh, I think in one day I watched uh, four. <laughs> Good. That's cool. What, what what are your favorites in that that franchise? Just curious. Um, well, three would be my one of my favorites because it it's when we get the iconic mask. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, probably seven is right up there because I feel like when people think of Jason Voorhees, they think of this this towering Hulk of a man who Kane Hodder just embodies. Yeah. Plus, you know, we we get uh, Carrie versus Jason, and that is awesome. Mm-hmm. And you might be surprised that number five would probably be up there also. Really? Really? Yeah. Huh. Yeah, I am a little surprised to hear that. But, you know, to each his own. I, I love number six. And over the years, um, aside from the first, I'm not including the original, of course. So set that aside. Oh, that's number, number six, one. Yeah, yeah, the original, of course. But but if we set that aside, we're talking strictly sequels. Um Number six has actually taken my spot for two and three. Two and three used to be my favorites, but there's something about number six with me. I'm just kind of obsessed with it. And I'm not even in the, you know, a lot of comedy and the horror stuff, but but it's just magical to me. 
Well, there's just so many great scenes in that movie. I mean, the the <laughs> electrified Jason's corpse coming back to life, and <laughs> and uh, the the one scene where the police officer asked the kid, "Sir, sir, does your mom own a sewing machine?" <laughs> oh man, you, yeah, this is so cool. I I just yeah, and and just the way he's reanimated at the beginning of that one, the way he's brought back is just cool to me. And I don't know. I think maybe I have some nostalgic memories, too. I think I watched that with one of my favorite gal friends, favorite girlfriends from the past. And that was just a really fun experience. And I I think that's probably another reason why I'm so fond of it. Hey, nostalgia like that plays a critical part as to, you know, if and how movies are remembered. Mm hmm. Yes, sir. I completely agree. But uh, with number five, hear me out. Okay. All right. Okay. Tell hear, it. Hear tell me it. out. I'm just gonna real, real quick, real quick. Okay. Um, a parent after the loss of their child begins a bloody murderous rampage against those who they believe is responsible for their child's death. Mm-hmm. Am I describing five or one? Yeah. Yeah. It's got echoes of that. That's that was really cool. Actually, well done. Yeah, I got to give you props. That's that's a good way to think about it. because that's actually why I'm so obsessed with the original. I feel like the motivation behind the killer in the first film is absolutely true to life. And it's actually understandable. She's a sympathetic monster. You get it. You know? Oh, yeah, ab- absolutely. Well, she's sympathetic once we find out who she is when she comes to on screen in the third act of the movie. But right. Right. When we find out her motivation, we're kind of with her. Yeah, it's like, okay, I could see, I could see a bereaved parent flipping completely out and you know getting revenge. I could see that happening. You know, I'm and, a parent, and and I think number five is just as powerful, if not more, because we actually see the kid die. Okay, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to revisit that, and I'll keep that in mind this time. So. And and I know people say like, oh, but he's not Jason. How could he be doing all these things? Like, how could he be super strong and yeah. essentially teleporting all over the place? Mm-hmm. But uh, Pamela, Mrs. Voorhees, Pamela, she was doing all the same stuff that Jason was <laughs> doing. So, I mean, let's play that both ways, Ref. Come on. Yeah. Yes, sir. You are. I mean, yeah, I'm just saying you you could have a potential career in litigation. In, in arguing <laughs> law. <laughs> That's a pretty good point. What well, about... Absolutely. What about um, Friday the 13th from 2009? I actually have a special place for that one as well. And and um, and I know, like, you know, I don't usually go into this kind of thing. So, but I hope you don't mind me saying this on your, on your show. Um, that actually has my all-time favorite horror love scene in it in that oh, one <laughs> better than number five yeah 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 this is my all and i'm talking of all the horror movies not just of the friday the 13th franchise so, yeah oh. yeah is it, is it because uh he talks about nipple placement <laughs> yeah yeah it's hilarious <laughs> yeah and uh yeah and and she of course is very attractive but but like um yeah their dialogue is so funny to me and because when when he says he says something like that to her and she's like, I know. And it's just, <laughs> I, I just, 
I die laughing every time it, I see it. It is pretty funny. It is it is really funny. Like yeah. the most ungenuine sex scene. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but yeah, it happens to be my my favorite. I don't usually rank those sorts of things, but you know, for you, Raul, you know, I'm doing something special here. <laughs> All right. Hey, uh, would you be willing to come back and uh, we can rank your top five <laughs> sex scenes? Oh, well, I don't know. I don't even know if I have five favorites, but, but that one has always stayed with me. But, um, you know, cause she's she's quite lovely, that young lady. But she is. anyways, <laughs> uh, well, since you asked uh, 2005 Friday or 2005, 2009 Friday the 13th. I all there's also a special place in my heart for that movie because that is the first time that Jason has been scary since since number three, I would say. Oh, really? So you didn't you didn't feel like four through what nine or ten? Like you didn't feel he was scary in any of those sequels. Uh, yeah, there was a there was an imposing force about him. There was okay. there was something that was obviously deadly and 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 mean about him. Mm-hmm. But it it felt like there was so much other campiness, other like uh, side plots with humor and bad acting and mm-hmm. other stuff that that took so much away from how menacing Jason was gotcha. that it it, it kind of diminished that here and there. But with but with the 2009 movie, it was uh, there was I would I wouldn't say there was bad acting. I'd say at best there was subpar acting, but the effects were played straight. The setting was played straight. Uh, mm-hmm. The mood was played straight. It felt like a straight head slasher movie. Yeah, that yep. happened to have Jason Voorhees as the main antagonist, and that's what made it scary. Absolute and Derek Mears, I I love his performance as Jason like there's this one scene this is very little and slight but I've I've heard other horror fans pick up on this he um he starts to charge to kill somebody I think it's toward the beginning and he has this little skip in his step it's it's almost like you know how when you're running to get somewhere fast and you have to get there like like in kickball for example (laughs) you kind of have to like um move your legs in a certain way to be lined up properly for the timing of the shot. Well, he does a little skip in his step as he starts this attack. And that was so cool to me. I mean, it's just amazing. Anyway, I love Derek Mears and he brings it in that one. Oh, absolutely. Derek, Derek Mears was a frightening Jason Voorhees, Mm -hmm. Um, him running. Like he seemed very athletic, very agile, and I think that's what made him scary because, I mean, other other iterations of Jason, you could run away, sprint away from him and more or less get away. Except he did run in number two. No one can tell me he didn't run because he ran in number two. <laughs> yep. yep. And uh, <laughs> but he's so I mean, Derek Mears is a large dude. And yes. to see yes. him run was was scary. That's what I mean by he was scary, you know? Absolutely. I agree. And. I've always been fond of uh, Danielle Panabaker, and we haven't seen her as much. And I was super happy to see her in this because, you know, she spent a lot of time in the Flash TV series. And um, so it was nice to, you know, I mean, Flash is more recent, but I'm just saying I like going back and seeing her in this movie. 
Oh, absolutely. And she's she's a very attractive individual. She I think she needs more work, especially in in horror movies. Yes. Yes. I would love to see because she's a great actress. I would love to see her in more horror movies. Agreed. hundred percent. All right. Well, uh, now that we are, let's see, how long have we been recording? Mm -hmm. Uh, Now that we are almost 40 minutes into a recording, let's actually get into the review proper. Um, So we're going to get into a feature, our feature review of Jackals. Uh, Jason, I'm going to toss it over to you. Would you kindly give us a synopsis of the movie? Yeah, thank you. So um, Jackals, I, I read in IMDb that this was like set in the 80s. And for whatever reason, I didn't pick that up as much. Uh, but but basically, you have this family who has decided to host this severe or extreme intervention because apparently the teenage son of the family um, was uh, recruited or what have you. He, he ended up leaving the family and being recruited by this cult. And... So this family plans to um, essentially kidnap their loved one out of this cult. And they take him up to this cabin where they've hired a deprogrammer uh, played by <laughs> our main man, uh, Stephen Dorf. Wait, am I saying his name right? Yeah, Stephen Dorf. Yeah. And he's our cult deprogrammer. So it's his job to try to get this kid um, reverse brainwashed and try to bring him back to the family. And so they're all up in this cabin. And the essential premise of the film is the cult comes looking for him. Absolutely. That's a great premise. Or th- Yeah, that's a great synopsis. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> um, yeah. You, so you were saying that you didn't really pick up on the fact that this movie is set in the 80s. I also did not catch that on the first viewing. And this is not your first viewing, right? And now, I, I mean, this is probably my fourth or fifth. I just revisited it again, especially for your your show here. And yeah, for, for whatever reason, it doesn't strike me as 80s, aside from the fact that there is actually a lot of like um, hype about cults and devil worship stuff in the 80s. I remember that there was like that, you know, satanic panic and stuff. So unless they're riffing on that. But did you catch something this time, Raul? No, absolutely. Like the 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 feel of the movie seemed very modern. The clothes seemed very modern. Mm-hmm. Uh, there wasn't really anything that stood out as this is in the eighties. And I don't know. Like, um, let's see. What's an, what's another period movie that just feels of? Oh, have you you've seen The Love Witch, right? No, I haven't seen that one. Okay, let's skip that then. Well, I mean, you've seen Stranger Things. Yeah, mm-hmm, absolutely. So, yeah. so Stranger Things oozes 80s it does it does and even um you know the uh the devil one that i love with ty west <laughs> darn it why, oh, House why of the do devil. i always yeah thank you house of the devil even that i mean it's not like they show rubik's cubes every five minutes but that one feels and looks 80s to me so oh yeah, yeah from from the from the cinematography and the way it was shot to the wardrobe and the vehicles it mm-hmm. just feels 80s and, oh, and the music there's that scene where the main actress is dancing around and um yes. it, i mean the music was very 80s too but nothing almost nothing in this movie feels 80s to me yeah yeah so i mean i mean it's possible imdb could be wrong about that i don't know but <laughs> if that's what they were going for but still i'll just say raul um this movie is right up my alley sir 
Yeah, in, in fact, I, I think the first time I, I saw this movie was on, on your recommendation. I think you reviewed it once already on uh, HMP a number of years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I don't think that the movie is wrong because at the very beginning of the movie, we see a title card that says 1983. Okay. Good catch. Uh, so as the movie opens, we get a POV of a stranger in a house. As he sneaks through the house, he kills an elderly couple and goes to the bedroom of a girl. She wakes up and finds out that the stranger who we are looking through is her brother and the son of the people he killed. How how did you feel about that cold opening? Thanks for asking, because I, I, I actually feel like this is doing two important things. Number one, I've, I feel like they establish up front, they set the tone. It's like, okay, this is going to be a horror flick, and here it is. We're going to open with a bang. So people aren't bored and they'll give us patience required to build the story a little bit. And so a lot of horror films do that and I'm okay with that. But the other thing, the other reason I feel like that was important to the function and the way this film is built is they had to show us right off the bat that this jackal's cult or these people who wear these jackal masks are extremely dangerous and capable of murder and being deadly. And so that sets us up, Raul, for later in the film when when we see the cult members come around, we're like, okay, we know what these people are capable of, you know, whereas (laughs) the people inside aren't quite aware of exactly how dangerous they are. Absolutely, man. I think that was a great way to to establish that. Also, did you get like major John Carpenter's Halloween vibes through this (laughs) POV? Oh, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, me too. And even more so once we realized that we were looking through the eye holes of a mask. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's a great, great callback. Yes. Oh, I loved it. I loved it. Uh, so uh, we, we cut to the Powell family, uh, Father Andrew, Mother Kathy, Brother Campbell, girlfriend Samantha, and girlfriend is, is Justin, the, the, Justin is the son that got involved with the cult and, and they're trying to deprogram. Um, but then Justin and babies are... Not Justin yet, but baby Zoe. <laughs> uh, they're holed up in a cabin and stage a kidnapping to uh, for their brainwashed son, Justin, who has gotten mixed up in a cult. Once they get him to the cabin, they tie him up and begin the process of deprogramming. <laughs> Justin is unresponsive to their efforts and says horrible things. Yes. Yeah. Wow. And this, yeah, right? Um, yeah. When uh, as night falls, tensions rise and relationships are tested. Among the arguing, a stranger is seen on the property. Jimmy, the deprogrammer, gives chase and is attacked. The family seeing it start arming themselves for battle, fearing that the cult has come for their son. Now, one thing I love in a horror movie is is when the main characters in a horror movie realize that there is an evil or a villain to overcome under threat of death and they start arming themselves the 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 gearing up getting ready for battle type of scene you know i, I love that mm-hmm. and we get one of those how did, how did you feel about that yeah absolutely i i um well one of my favorite setups in a horror film is the siege narrative and that's essentially what we have here where you know the monsters are on the outside and the potential victims are on the inside and so they have to try to keep the monsters out and yeah it really ramps up the tension and it's exciting to see them prepare for battle i i'm with you i love that part 
Yeah, it's it's really cool because immediately they realize that they are under siege. Mm-hmm. And they don't know how dangerous the, the, the jackals are. I'm going to refer to the cultists as the jackals. They don't know how dangerous they are. Yeah. But because of that cold open, we, the viewers, know how dangerous they are. Yes, we do. But however, they, not being armed with that information, do not take the situation lightly and prepare for war. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah, absolutely. And and two other things that I think really just make this film so strong is the way that um, it's filmed with, they have headlights shining toward us and the camera and the potential victims um, in the background and it silhouettes the the jackal shapes, the, the the people standing around. And then the soundtrack, Raul, that that low um oh my goodness. What is that, I mean, howling? is that a it's like a fog horn sound. Oh yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean that is so cool to me. It's freaky. Yeah, mm-hmm. and there's there's sometimes where uh, Justin, when when the family realized that they are they are now under siege and possibly under threat of attack, that Justin claims, you know, my family has come for me, my real family, and he starts howling mm-hmm. at the jackals outside, and mm-hmm. they in turn start howling back, and that's how they realize that they are under siege from every direction because these howls are coming from every direction, and along with that. That foghorn, you you get the howling mixed in there. Oh, the sound in this movie is so, (laughs) so nerve-wracking, and it builds so much tension in the best way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is definitely a film to watch in the dark and then with the the audio cranked. Absolutely. I I could not agree more. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, So moving on. Uh, the family now under siege by dozens of jackals is forced to fend off those who attempt to come in the house. One jackal is killed in front of Justin, who for the first time in the movie seems to show emotion over the death of his so-called brother. <laughs> oh, awful. And he calls his dad a monster for killing that kid. <laughs> and, his, and his real brother is genuinely offended he's like i'm your brother <laughs> and they just try to kill us so upsetting yeah that that was very upsetting and i think his brother even says um something along the lines of i'm your brother a-hole yeah exactly. and oh man it's, it's so hard to watch especially the the contrast between how remorseful he feels seeing this jackal die in front of him and how much joy he seems to get from just the prospect of the rest of the jackals coming in and killing his entire family. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what's so twisted about this movie. Like, I love how dark and ferocious this horror film is. Because, honestly, Raul, the scariest part to me is is exactly how far gone this guy is. I mean, it's just like... It's just like a body snatcher movie or when somebody is bitten and becomes a zombie or they become a vampire. It's when a loved one that you knew and loved and trusted and loved you is no longer the same person. They are a monster now and they want you dead. I mean, that that betrayal is so frightening. And in this in this movie, I mean, it just 
these people cannot wrap their head around how far gone this kid is. They're not bringing him back. Well, I, I think I think one individual realizes how far gone he is, and that's his brother Cameron, yeah, or Campbell. Point. Yes, Campbell. Um, yes. And and with with you saying that, it's kind of like a with you saying that it's kind of like a, a zombie movie where there's there's no re- redemption here. It's kill or be killed. Mm-hmm. Campbell, yeah. I feel, is meant to be seen as kind of a d bag and yeah. someone you don't empathize with. But with that in mind, that there's no redemption. How do you feel about Campbell? It's heartbreaking. I I feel like he is the most tragic character in this film, and and misunderstood. I mean, yeah, he he is I think meant to be unlikable, but really, if you if you follow his story arc and especially as a character, the things that he perceives. I mean, he's out there <laughs> hung up to dry, like literally, and uh, he's calling for help and he's saying, send out my brother. I mean, you can tell that he's always had kind of this animosity with this brother. They've had issues and, you know, maybe he's not the favorite son and it's made crystal clear to him because they do not sacrifice the the off the deep end brother in order to save him. And I think it's very heartbreaking. Yeah, you're you're right, man. I did not I did not think about that while I was watching the movie. I I think for the most part I was just thinking how how much of a D-bag Campbell was and there were some instances where I felt my uh I felt my emotions being pulled towards uh toward him. Like I was I was on his side a few parts, but almost immediately he would say something to mm-hmm. not have me on his side anymore but i don't know maybe i'll have to watch this movie again and and try to empathize more with him yeah i mean he he's definitely not a sympathetic character and he doesn't have much tact (laughs) or control of himself and that's really unfortunate for him (laughs) that he's not more charismatic but but it reminds me of the dude in night of the living dead there's like the dad, the bald dad, who's who's a real jerk. But that that dude actually has a lot of good points in the course of that film, and you can you can see where he's coming from, even though he's totally being a jerk like the whole movie. But he he raises some good points, and that's the same here with this guy. Yeah, yeah, I, I can see that. Um, although I think the guy from Night of the Living Dead, there was a definite instant in that movie where he should have probably rethought his points i think oh, initially yeah. he was you know <laughs> yeah as, as as the movie goes on we're less and less on his side yeah he definitely becomes villainous for sure mm-hmm. yeah. Um, yeah but yeah you're right you're right uh the family makes a desperate effort to escape by distracting the the jackals and having cam run to the neighbor's house a mile and a half away cam is captured tied to a swing outside and has his hands lit on fire. Kathy, the mother, who is almost catatonic, goes outside to save her son and is taken by the jackals. Andrew, the father, argues with Sam, the girlfriend, about giving Justin to the cultists, but eventually opts on going outside to save his wife and son. Mm -hmm. If there's any weak part of the movie, I would say it's this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it has a few weaknesses. I'm with you, but... 
But what what didn't you like about this? Well, I, I feel like I feel like there there came an instant in the writing process for this movie where the writers were just thinking to themselves out loud, how are we going to get this family outside? Mm-hmm. And one of the writers turns to the other and says, what if they just walk out the door? And <laughs> yeah. that's what they wrote. Exactly. Yeah, Am I, I agree. No, I agree 100 percent. And in fact, they knew. I mean, you know, I could see the logic. Okay, let's create a diversion, you know, giving pretending like we're going to give Justin up as a good diversion so you can run out the back. But it seemed like they knew for most of the the time that they were surrounded. And it's it's not like these cultists who are besieging them are not going to cover the back door. Right. I mean, so that that just didn't make any sense to me that they would even think about that. And then when Cam does run, he ends up like hanging out under a van instead of running to the next cabin, which was the plan. Mm-hmm. Problematic. Yeah. But although that that scene where he does get taken is pretty suspenseful. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Freaky. But I, I but I, I still feel like uh, I don't know. They're. Then maybe they could have taken him at the other cabin. Maybe it could have been a scenario like, uh, oh, what's that movie? Uh, You're next. Yeah. Uh, where they in in that character in that movie we do have a similar setting. A family is under siege, and a, a, a one member of the family goes to a neighbor's house. Mm-hmm. And they actually make it to the neighbor's house, and that's when they get got. So. Yeah, it it could have been written better. I feel like this is probably the weakest part of the the movie between Cameron getting got, um, and the mother and father essentially just walking outside to meet their demise. Yes, absolutely. And something that is just unfortunate to me, like on one hand, it's pretty brave, but um, you know, we're set up in the beginning that this Stephen Dorff, who is the most famous actor in this so we see him he's our star we kind of assume he's like the main guy he's got military experience he's a marine and he knows how to deal with cults and so we assume that he's going to be our main you know uh protagonist and our hero and it it is pretty daring that they kill him off right up front and it, it makes it scary because it places our uh family in the victim role for sure. And so I do like that Raul, but um, the cult deprogramming approach and the fact that this dude is pretty tough military guy. I I remember the first time I saw this, I was kind of excited to see more of the cult deprogramming and seeing this guy try to uh, deal with these cult members. So it was also a little disappointing that he was, you know, dispatched early as well. Yeah, I feel like I, um, I feel like they they had to dispatch him early because he was essentially maybe the the cell phone of the um, of the group. He was the their best weapon to right. use in this situation. He could have, if, if he had known what the situation was, instead of getting uh, dispatched so early in the movie, he could have instructed them how to best deal with the situation um, because he would have had the those war tactics. In him, he was a former Marine. He, he he could have really led the charge of how to deal with a siege because I'm sure that's something they deal with in military training. But I feel like with him being dispatched as soon as he was, 
Uh, you're right. That did immediately make the families victims and essentially helpless because they are. This is a very wealthy, pampered family. And at one point, Cam the son tells his father that this is a problem that he cannot throw money at. Yeah, and it it, it definitely adds to the scariness, to the suspensefulness. So. You know, I can appreciate the decision, but like, yeah, there's a part of me that wishes I could see an alternate version of this same film and just see more of the cult deprogramming because that's kind of fascinating, right? To unbrainwash somebody. That's that's wild to me. I, I feel like if Ari Aster did uh, re- <laughs> re- redid this movie, it would be two and a half hours long and it would be 80 percent the deprogramming. Yes. And then the last act would be the siege narrative, and it would last for maybe 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. And in the end, everyone still dies. Right. Yeah, and I wouldn't mind that. I I would actually, what you just said actually sounds like a pretty good movie to me. (laughs) That does sound like a pretty good movie. You know, I think Ty West could do that movie too. Uh Uh-huh, for sure. I'd love to see him take a crack at it. Mm -hmm. I, I, I started that sentence thinking that I was describing a bad movie. And, and I, I I sold myself on the premise of the movie I just described. <laughs> Absolutely. You sold me, too. <laughs> yeah, I think you should make that film. I Oh, man. No, no one wants me to make any film. If you, no. <laughs> <laughs> you could be you could also be like the mountain bike stunt guy and you could do the stunts. There you go. Like um, uh, like uh, exists. Except good. <laughs> that's right. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> So Cam is killed. Kathy has her throat slit. The mom has her throat slit. And the 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 jackal that slits the mother's throat is very attractive. Oh, yeah. Ooh. Fox girl. Yeah. Aly- Alyssa, Alyssa Julia Smith. I can tell you have the IMDb page pulled up. I do. I do, of course. Yes. Yeah. And, and if you so do I. And I tell you, the actress herself is very attractive. Yeah. You can tell even though you don't see much of her. But you can tell as she sashays and dances through with her blade. Yeah, you can tell she's gorgeous. So Yeah, she gave me a hard uh, um, Strangers vibe because of mm-hmm. the way she moved was very elegant, very dancey and flowy. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so Justin, now alone with Sam, the girlfriend, convinces her to let him go to take baby Zoe and escape. He kisses Zoe. And goes outside to confront the leader of the jackals. He seems to be granted forgiveness and is welcomed back into the cult. Sam escapes into the woods and makes it to the road. She tries to flag down a car, but there is a jackal standing right behind her. Mm-hmm. And that's the end of the movie. Yeah, and I assumed that the the vehicle she flagged down was probably one of their jackal vans as well. I'm betting. Oh, yeah, that's that's the assumption I got. It's not stated. It's a little ambiguous, but not mm-hmm. not very. Yeah, the only thing that um, bothered me in terms of, you know, the demise of the characters is, you know, Cam gets his hands burned. But um, and, and they were pouring gasoline on his head. But I, I don't I don't believe that that fire was set and he just seemed to end up dying. Was he, did did he just, was he overcome with pain? Like how did Cam die in this? You know, as I was recalling the movie, I also could not remember 
how Cam died. I, I just remember him being slumped over after his second hand gets lit on fire. And That's I thought right. maybe he just kind of passed out from shock. Yeah, yeah, it could be. But yeah, the assumption is that he doesn't make it, though, right? I mean, his the parents are slain. And that's very disturbing, too, by the way. And I love how the dad, you know, especially the dad in me, I love how the dad tells the cult leader, I'm the father. And that's pretty that's pretty awesome. That but, was really cool. And I think of, of any death in this movie, his is probably the most heartbreaking and the hardest to watch just because it's it's on screen for so long. Mm-hmm. He makes a valiant effort with that pickaxe trying to yes. trying to reach his his wife and his son. And he yeah. actually, I think he does dispatch of one or two uh, jackals on his way mm-hmm. there, but it, he eventually is overpowered and taken down and stabbed multiple, multiple times. Oh, yeah. And even yeah. so, he still makes his way to the feet of the of the head cult leader. Yeah, yeah. It's... And, th- and that's when he says, I'm the father. Yeah. Yeah, and that's kind of a, a really cool, redemptive little arc there because... You know, he he was definitely criticized for mistakes that he made in the family, and and it, his, he was even called out for trying to you know bring this son back and try to atone and fix everything. But I think it's cool that he ended up going out there to save his ex-wife and his son. Um, you know, he made a valiant effort, as you said, and and so in that way, I feel like he does get. A degree of redemption because it's pretty courageous so yeah at, at the end he chose family over his own life and I, I think his exiting the house is the most realistic out of anyone mm-hmm. yes and and I, I liked his ending the best but I, I still feel like there could have been a more organic way for him to, for him and everyone else to exit the cabin yeah I'm with you now how did you feel about um Justin Ben the actor's Ben Sullivan his performance I felt like he was he did really well and he was he was a creepy weirdo I mean I felt like he pulled off that really well Oh absolutely he was he was maniacal when he, when he needed to be it seemed right at the beginning of the deprogramming process when uh, Jimmy the deprogrammer is talking to him and making him second guess what he really means to the cult because he's he's saying that oh they're only using you because they know your family has money mm-hmm. you're you're just a bargaining chip for them they don't really love you and you see on justin's face you see almost this emotion that he's second guessing himself it, it, you it's almost like you can see mm-hmm. him flashing back to instances and questioning the motives behind maybe how accepting this cult was of him and then you immediately see that that was just manipulation on his part because he bites his tongue and spits blood right into Jimmy's face. <laughs> I know. That was so awesome. I I love that. And and the other thing that was freaky along those levels is when his mom was all up in his face being super tender. And then he like bites off some of her scalp and rips her Ooh. part of her hair and head off. That That was so upsetting. And that that evil smirk he gives to his family right before he does it was amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He brings it. That dude's performance is pretty chilling. So, and and uh, then at the end when he when he convinces Sam to to let him go, I, I think that was just as powerful because you see maybe the the glimpse of the person he was before he was a jackal. 
Yeah, that that part is actually really hard for me to read and figure out because I I don't know about you, Raul, but I've kind of concluded that it's a blend. It's a blend of um, you know, him just trying to get free and manipulation, but he does some things that are somewhat, for lack of a better word, tender that I wasn't expecting him to do. And there were things he didn't necessarily have to do. So, yeah, I think what you said is really right on the money when you said you get a a little glimpse of the real Justin before he became a jackal. Yeah, I think that's I think that's accurate. I also think it was really dumb of Samantha to think all of a sudden he, you know, he snapped out of it. It's pretty dumb. Oh, yeah. No, I think that I think well, I, I have some thoughts about Samantha. But with that ending, that that seems so like a like an odd turn like an odd character a, a, a really strange decision for justin's character to make at the end of the movie because i feel like he's more belligerent and he's more offensive and manic maniacal the less power he has uh, i mean at the very beginning of the movie i think is when he's probably the worst in the things he says and that's that that might be the it's the start of the situation but it's arguing it's arguable that he has the least amount of power of leverage right after he gets captured but even so he's belligerent right yes yes absolutely and at the as the movie goes it's arguable that he has more and more power because he's essentially used as a bargaining chip for his family to escape with their lives and even after that his family is dispatched and he's alone in the cabin with Samantha Mm-hmm. And that's when he has the most power, correct? Yeah, yeah, I would agree. Now, when he has the most power is when he becomes, quote, normal and kind and gentle and convinces her to let him go. I have a theory about this. Okay, go ahead. So, so Justin knew that the jackals wanted him to redeem himself, but he was unable to because he was tied down, correct? correct? Mm. Yes, uh-huh. Okay, so... He kills no one in the house. And when he realizes that he has killed no one in the house, he plays the only card he has left, which is tugging at at Sam's heartstrings. He sets up Sam to get captured and killed and for Zoe to be taken. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah, I do. I do agree with you. I feel like he knew that 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 Sam and Zoe weren't truly going to escape and that, you know, the baby would end up with the cult anyway. So, yeah, and I, I think the fate of Zoe is probably the worst thing about the movie. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, because she'll be raised as a brainwashed cult member for sure. Um, what about, you know, in terms of dark endings like that? That's my favorite kind of horror movie ending that, that just ends on a, a horror note. And the fact that he goes back and like, you know, takes the hand of the cult leader and you know presses his face against it and you could see that he's completely unchanged and as dedicated as ever oh that was oh yeah devastating i mean and that's after they just slaughtered his family you know that's Mm -hmm. horrifying really you you and i share the same affinity for dark and twisted endings and i i loved the ending of this movie me too yeah, and, and and another reason why I love that is because, I mean, this is this is real life horror stuff. I mean, if if people have done much research about you know the Jonestown massacre, I mean that stuff is 
terrifying and it really happens and like i don't know how um they get their claws in somebody so deeply but they like they reprogram their brain it's it's nuts it's really scary but it's crazy how you know influential leaders can persuade people to do crazy stuff i mean you're not wrong there man but unfortunately that is the world we live in and Mm -hmm. Uh, people are going to keep falling into this and you're right this is real live horror this is uh i, I think that's the most terrifying part mm-hmm. absolutely no uh, sweat. so we've we've pretty much gushed about this movie right mm-hmm. uh tell me some negatives what, what what's something you you didn't like about the movie what, how does it fall short for you yeah i mean uh, a couple we've covered you know about the the plan to run out the back and then he didn't really follow the plan and then you're exactly right about how the family members are led out to meet the cult. So, so yeah, I think there's a lot of problem with the the actual like con physical conflict battle sequences leading into those. I think those are problematic. They aren't the strongest, and and that's kind of a bummer. So, I mean, th- those are kind of the things that stood out to me the most as problems. But um, aside from that, I think those were really my only major complaints. What about you? Uh, well, aside from the stuff we already mentioned, one of my biggest complaints is the character of Samantha, because I feel like she's the weakest written. She is uh, she has the weakest acting in the movie mm-hmm. and she more or less makes the worst decisions, um, <laughs> especially towards the end of the movie. Yeah, I see um, that. <laughs> yeah, I feel and uh, I remember there's this one. I cannot remember exactly where it was, but. It was towards the end of the day before night falls, or maybe it was right at nightfall. Uh, everyone's kind of freaking out. It's when tensions are rising and everyone is yelling. There's a lot of emotions flying around. We get to see we, 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 a little bit of that backstory is uncovered that mm-hmm. the father was unfaithful and that's why the family kind of fell apart. Mm-hmm. And everyone's emotions and acting is very convincing at that point and then samantha just randomly pops up and and says to justin justin can't you see what we're trying to do for you and just walks off in a huff and that that line and that acting choice was just so out of place to everything else that was going on i thought (laughs) what is she doing see i thought you were gonna mention because that line did the part you just described didn't bother me as much as right before that when this family which she's technically not a part of but she's invited to be there because she's the mother of this kid's you know child uh this this revelation comes out about the affair as you said and then she's like now's not the time for us to talk about this and it's like who are you? Shut up. You're not even in, yeah. the, in this family. So I hated that part. So that's another. Yeah, you brought that to my memory. That's another thing I didn't like is that that was so obnoxious of her. Yeah, I, she was at, at one point I felt on everyone's side in this movie, except for hers. Nothing she did, nothing she portrayed on screen with her words, with her actions, with her emotions ever, ever made me really sympathize with this character or get on board with her. At almost any level, I think she was just kind of written there for a little bit more emotional support, and even that emotional support fell flat. So, yes, yes, she is and the weakest part of the movie. Go ahead. I agree 100%. And, you know, it's it's kind of, 
she's almost redundant in a way because it's like I feel like the design of her character is to be the most fearsome. I mean, the most fierce advocate for the baby, Zoe. But it's like everybody else is going to watch out for this baby. The grandparents are going to make sure the baby's okay. So, I mean, she's almost, you know, redundant and superfluous. Yep, 100%. Uh, I think at the end of the movie, she there's a little bit of, of, of um, she. I think she has the, the coolest level head towards the very end where she says, if, if we give Justin to them, then we're all dead. Mm-hmm. But that that might be it. And I think she repeats that line maybe four or five times to the point where, like, we get it, we get it, we get it. Yeah, yeah. That was, I mean, that was definitely insightful. But, yes, she said it a lot. Mm-hmm. One other character thing, um, Raul, that um, occurred to me upon this viewing is even though Cam is mostly a jerk, I do feel like he kind of plays an audience surrogate role because, I I mean, I don't know about you, but a lot of the things he says are the things that I was thinking as I watched this movie. So, I mean, I I just feel like he's really in tune with, you know, a a grasp of reality. Like everybody else is very hopeful about how this situation is going to turn out. But I feel like he's just he he's got a good handle on it and he makes a good audience surrogate. I, I think you're right. I think the decisions he makes and the way he's approaching the situation with like the, the level of rationality he's approaching the situation and kind of knowing what's going to happen. Uh, you, you're right. I mean, he is there as we're there. He's kind of making the, the same decision that the audience would make. But the the way, the words he's using to make those decisions is what keeps us from always being on his side. Yes. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Although there there is one part where he just punches Justin right in the face. And I think at that point, I was like, yeah, I would have punched him too. Yeah, he needed to be punched right then, as oh, I man. recall. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, okay. Well, uh, is there anything else you want to say about the movie before we move on to uh, ratings and recommendations? Yeah, um, and this will probably segue nicely into that. Believe it or not, this was in my... Uh, top 10 that year you know it's for 2017 as i recall i believe it, i believe it was of course um and i found this at the dollar tree this is like at the dollar store for a dollar people and wow. every time i see it in there i buy it and so i can like give it to people because i just think it's an incredible horror film and i just usually the stuff you get at the dollar tree is very sketchy but I feel like this is a solid movie, and the fact that they're selling it for a dollar is kind of, is kind of sad. But horror fans, get out to the Dollar Tree and find jackals in the dollar bin. Uh, so along those lines, I actually picked up this movie the last time I went to Grayville to Gray Whale. Oh, okay. And I found it in uh, in the horror section, obviously, but I think I paid maybe three dollars for it, and it's the Scream Factory DVD. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah, I get the DVD as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I love this movie. It's really good. Uh, like I said, there are faults in the movie, but I, yeah, well, I mean, if you're okay, we'll just move on to ratings and recommendation. Jay, what do you rate and recommend for this movie? Absolutely. This is a must-see for any horror fan. Um, it's a, for me, it's a 9.5 out of 10, and that's upon revisiting it again. Um, I just absolutely love this movie. It's a 
it's a must own. I mean, it's a purchase. This is the kind of movie that if you ever have a friend come over and they're like, come on, I want to see a good horror movie. Show me something good, you know, and and you need to have something in your back pocket and ace up your sleeve. I think this is one of those. I mean, this is solid and it ends like a horror movie should end. It's got impact. It's brutal. And I love it. 9.5 out of 10. Buy it. Wow, that is a high rating, sir. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm going to come in a little little under you, but not by much. I'm going to give this an 8 out of 10. I still say it is a must-see, must-own movie for any hardcore horror fans. Um, and the reason I'm not quite as high as you is because the things that I found um, wrong, or not wrong, but uh, bad about the movie, I just could not ignore Mm-hmm. Um, the the entire character Samantha, the writing towards the uh, towards the end of the movie and that last act, uh, and and the kills themselves. Um, I I, I could have used more blood. I could have used more violence. I love the siege narrative, but you know, give me give me the violence, give me the blood, give me the gore. I am a gore hound at heart, and I always have been. I always <laughs> will be. Yeah. Um. So the fact that there wasn't a lot of special effects to talk of in this movie did kind of diminish my score. I would have enjoyed more violence. Mm-hmm. Um. So, you know, I'm 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 up there. I am up there. Um. But I'm just not quite as high as you. Eight out of ten. Must buy. Must. Uh, must watch. Uh, yeah, keep put this movie in your collection for sure. Mm-hmm. You're you're gonna want to watch this movie. Yes. Would you agree, Raul, that this is um one of the better cult themed horror movies? Um, let's see. Like there. So there's this. Do you? So do you prefer this over Wicker Man? Uh, yeah, actually, I do. I mean, I like. Really? I definitely like Wicker Man for sure. But um. Yeah, I mean, in, in another more recent, like, you know, The Sacrament, which is kind of like in, inspired by Jonestown mm-hmm. and, and and even like Red State, you know, I, I love like, Red State. It's good. It's good. But I do I do feel like this is one of one of the strongest entries that come to mind for me. I, I'd probably put it in a top three cult movies, I bet. I mean, I haven't thought about it extensively, but. But it's really up there for me because I feel like it delivers on the cult aspects. Oh, a more recent cult movie, um, Midsummer. Midsummer. Yeah, Midsummer. So like, so yeah, this is it's pretty hardcore. Um, I would, uh, you know, I I would, I'd put this right up there with Midsummer. They they both feel incredibly different. It's just that Midsummer is so beautiful and vibrant, and and there's a lot of horror in the daylight, as you would like to say. <laughs> yes. Um, plus there's the, the blood eagle where the wings are ripped out or the, the lungs are ripped out of the back. Ugh. Yikes. Yes. There's some hard stuff to watch in Midsommar. That, that gives you the gore, you know, the spaced out periodically, but it gives it to you. Absolutely. (laughs) But yeah, I I would say that this is, I don't know about top three, but maybe top five. I can't Mm -hmm. think of the other five, but yeah for, for a little cushion room, I'd say top five cult horror movies. Okay. Okay. Uh, well, listeners, that has been our review of of uh, Jackals. Um, next week, or not next week, next episode, we are going to do, where is my notes, sweet Moses? Well, I can't find that part of the notes, but next, <laughs> next episode, we are going to be doing a Peter Jackson film. Jay, can you guess which one we're doing? Oh, uh, Brain Dead? Yes! <laughs> nice. 
Dead Alive. And we're, uh, I'm actually going to have another, hopefully, another special guest on that. And I will go ahead and say who it is. It is my um, beautiful, intelligent, gorgeous, amazing wife, Morgan, who is the best part of my life. She's so cool. I <laughs> she is. Yes, I had the opportunity to meet her. I had dinner at Raul the Monster Slayer's house and saw him achieve magnificent feats with hot foods and and met his family. And she's awesome. I bet that's going to be a great episode. Achieving feats is a great way to describe what happened because it was a feat to achieve. I'll tell you. (laughs) Oh, yeah. My my kids still talk about that. Very impressive. (laughs) Did they ever post that uh, YouTube video they're recording? Yeah, they they did. They totally posted it like right away. They're way faster at getting up their content than I am at publishing mine. So, oh, yeah, me they, too. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, should, they, you should send me a link to that YouTube video so I can okay. I can watch myself um, almost die again. <laughs> okay, sure will. All right, um, Jay, let the listener. I'm I'm sure anyone listening to this podcast knows exactly who you are and where they can find you. But just in case they don't, will you tell the listeners where they can find you? Sure, thank you. Yeah, I have three shows. I have uh, HorrorMovieWeekly.com for you horror fans out there. And then I have ConsideringTheCinema.com. And that's just for cinephiles and movie nerds. And then I have MoviePodcastWeekly.com, which is a bunch of goofs talking about movies. It's more it's more of a comedy show than a movie show. I try to make it a comedy. I mean, Raul, I try to make that a movie show. <laughs> but those guys on there are just there to goof off. So that's what happens. So. That's the, the clown car of movie podcasting, right? It really is. That's exactly <laughs> what it is. <laughs> but thank you for having me. It was seriously an honor to be here on Headlong Into Monsters. And uh, Ab- it, it was a pleasure. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. And you can follow me. You can follow the the... You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Into Monsters. That's in the number two monsters. You can follow me personally at Raul versus Monsters. You can also follow me on Letterbox at Into underscore Monsters. Jay, thank you so much for being on. You are the first guest, and hopefully we can uh, have you on again. Anytime you want to come mm-hmm. on talk movies, man, you're always welcome here. My door's always open. Well, thank you. Yeah, no, it was a real pleasure. I, I had a blast talking to you tonight, buddy. Uh, well, listeners, thank you again for listening, and be sure to tune in to the next episode. Oh, there's the part in my notes. Dang it. <laughs> be sure to tune into the next episode where we'll be talking about uh, Peter Jackson's uh, Dead Alive or Brain Dead. Brain Dead, right? Mm-hmm. You okay, got that. Yeah. Uh, so join us next time as we once again dive headlong into monsters. All right, listeners, here we are again, and let's, uh, let's find out who's winning these two copies of Colorado Space. I have randomized the people eligible, and we are now going to pick them at random. Do-do-do-do-do. Looks like Trey Whetstone, you are getting a free copy of Color Out of Space. Congratulations. 
Let's see. Now let's go to the other one. Do, 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 do. And horror fan Ryan, congratulations. You are also getting a copy of Color Out of Space. So congratulations, Trey Whetstone and horror fan Ryan. If you guys want to hit me up in my DMs on Twitter, give me your information and I will get those um, those Blu-rays sent out to you guys. And uh, just, just so everyone knows, this was a pretty small pool to choose from. I only had... I believe five people <laughs> eligible. I only had five people in this pool and I gave away two things. So <laughs> your odds of winning were like, were two out of five. <laughs> That's, that was really, really good. Um, so I, this isn't the only giveaway I'm going to do. I uh, keep you guys keep listening. There will be more giveaways to come. Right now, my audience is super small. If you guys enter to win something, odds are pretty good that you might win. Uh, so thank you so much. Like I said, Trey Whetstone, Horror Fan Ryan, get at me and I'll get those Blu-rays sent out to you guys. Thank you. So um, do you have any... Do you have any... Um, no, we're not there. I'm so sorry. I'm looking over my notes here. I bet you're having a coughing break right now. <laughs> Take your time. Oh, sorry. I, I didn't realize I was muted. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry if you can hear, like, bashing around in the background. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Um, it's, a, it's my son's bedtime, and, of course, my, my beautiful <laughs> wife, Morgan, is trying to, wrestling, trying to wrestle him into his bed.